with First Republic, with with how much they got from J.P. Morgan initially with that seventy seventy billion dollars, and then they got that thirty billion in deposits from all eleven eleven banks. banks. From Why? 11 banks. If after all that, First Republic still goes down, that's when I think the market just explodes. I don't know if they're going to go down. I, I think the whole point of this whole thing is to prop them up until they can find a buyer. But that's oh, just to find a buyer. You think? I mean, I think J.P. Morgan Chase is the buyer, but Jamie's probably playing hardball. Like, Look, Jim Cramer talked about these guys. I know they're going to fail. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Your boy Saeed and I are pleased to bring you a special episode where we kick things off with Jim Kramer fucking the party up for all of us once again. Had to do it. Had to do it. We're going to jump into UBS buying Credit Suisse and what that actually means and what it looks like from a transactional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we've heard a lot of things in the media and let's, let's, let's break that down. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Uh, we're going to talk about Bitcoin a little bit in this episode, climbing to a nine-month high and the turmoil of all of this, I guess, stuff about banking in the, in the media i mean there's a lot out there it makes me so angry it makes me a lot of a lot of feelings that just come out <laughs> yeah, just yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get there and then we're gonna talk with a nice little rainbow at the end about how to be happier in the workplace i want to be happy and i can give this to you do you want to be happy i can make you happier. sometimes i when i was, watch you do what you do it makes me feel like you don't want to be happy like when it comes to tech stuff I had a rough start today. And yeah, connection there, there, there's issues. No, there's no doubt about that. Look, <laughs> it's been um, it's been a day. Yeah, today, and here we are at oh, what's it? Eleven o'clock, eleven fourteen. You know. Yes. Daddy got to be at work tomorrow early. Early. I got to be in the office no later than eight. Mm. And uh, that means I'll probably get home tonight by one a.m. Think about you for only six hours before I have to get <laughs> up. I mean, it's it's just not enough. You. Do you ever dream about me? You know, um, be honest. Our clothes included. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at least you get to see his pretty face tomorrow morning at work, right? Uh no, no. See, Saeed doesn't. Come on, drive man. Let's keep this rain. shit eighty twenty, man. <laughs> no, Go ahead. Hold on. <laughs> Saeed doesn't drive in the rain because tomorrow's forecast is like ninety percent probability of rain. We all know that Saeed cannot go outside, <laughs> so uh, he will not be making an appearance in the workplace because he's not weatherproof. Yeah, the, <laughs> Jeep, the Jeep can't drive. In the, the Jeep rain. can't drive in the rain. Come on, it's man. a special Orange County Jeep. <laughs> all right. Well, my week started off pretty fucked up, uh, but. Mm-hmm. It got worse because I realized that Jim Cramer is continuing to fuck things up for all of us. Is he trolling? 
I'm telling you, he is the world's greatest troll. He, everybody has to know, be in on this. He's got to know. Jamie Dimon's in on it. CNBC's in on it. Everybody's in on Jim Cramer fucking us all. And Honestly. the worst part is the people who are not in it are the ones that call and go, hey, Jim, this is Kevin from Nova Scotia. I'm, the, I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, I don't know, First Republic, man? Or Credit Suisse. Or Credit Suisse. <laughs> yeah. Those are all interns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're all interns for yeah. sure. <laughs> All right, Arun, let's bless him with some Kramer. Uh, Andrew, you're so credit wrong, Credit man. twist. Credit twist, Andrew, Jim. you got it so wrong. You know why you got it wrong? Tell me. Because Gary Gensler's back at the office. It changed everything. No fireplace behind that, man. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, you don't, you right don't have a take... right, Andrew? Yeah, that part is true. That part is true. What, what do you make, though, oh. real quick? Credit twist. You, you, you have a take? I, Leslie Picker said everything this morning. They got the, they have the right right amount of uh, common equity. So I'm going with Picker against all the Bears. Okay. Picker's my Picker's my pick. He's mainstay. All right, Jim. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Squawk Box will be right back. He so, looks like he's having a stroke on on screen. Well, because he was so full of shit, he could barely contain himself. Basically, what he said here is he believes in the CEO of Credit Suisse and they're they're wet Suisse. Suisse. They're well capitalized, and he's he's picking them. He's going with them. Mm. I, I'm on Team Credit Suisse. Well, unless you lived under a rock this last weekend, yeah, there may be some small complications with that prediction. Mm-hmm. According to the Financial Times, UBS started off in discussions to take over all or part of Credit Suisse with the boards of Switzerland's two biggest lenders set to meet separately over the weekend to consider what would be Europe's most consequential banking combination since the financial crisis, according to multiple people briefed on the talks. Mm-hmm. The Swiss National Bank and regulator fin- Finma, yeah, very that, weird name, Finma. That, that's their regulator. Right? Yeah, yeah, are orchestrating the negotiations in an attempt to shore up confidence in the country's banking sector. People mm-hmm. said, the people, <laughs> the people, people. <laughs> Their intervention comes days after the central bank was forced to provide an emergency SFR50BN, which I'm assuming is 50 billion francs. Uh, it's just emergency funding. Which was 54 billion US dollars. Yeah. Uh, credit line to Credit Suisse. Now, this in and of itself was um, thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. And I took the liberty of looking up some things. So Ulrich. Corner. This is the CEO, right? Yeah. He's the CEO of, uh, well, he's a German Swiss business person. Mm-hmm. In March 2021, he was named CEO of Asset Management of Credit Suisse until July of 2022 when he was appointed CEO of Credit Suisse AG. Mm, a lot of shit went down during that time frame, too. A lot of shit went down during the time frame, but let's just not skip over his entire bio. Mm. Little fun thing right below, you know, where he was born, his nationality, his education, occupation. Oh, board member of. UBS. Would you look at that? The CEO of Credit Suisse is a board member of the bank that was going to buy Credit Suisse. Or that is going to buy Credit Suisse. And it feels, I know, there's got to be a conflict there, but they obviously have to mask this for the quote-unquote greater good. Well, so in, in and of itself, if you're the two largest banks in the area and you have a competing ground in the United States, this would be an interlocking directorate and this would be a conflict of interest. You couldn't do this. Yeah, absolutely not. Right? Apparently in Europe, you can't. Right. So I was like, oh, well, shit, that, that's kind of liberal. Well, 
the, so for Switzerland, they have a, a reputation over there with their whole banking system, right? So UBS, the Union Bank of Switzerland, they're the largest bank over there. And Credit mm-hmm. Suisse was supposed to be, is is the second largest. Was. It, past was, tense, brother. Past tense, yeah. yeah. So, and to put things in perspective, um, I think they're like three times as big as Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, they're, they're pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, they're massive. So, because of their reputation, it felt like, they probably felt like, and the government felt like, that this needed to get done because this is government backed and sponsored. It is, but I would say the stakeholders, Credit Suisse, kind of got, well, the technical term is fucked. Yeah, because they didn't get to vote on any of this. They didn't get to vote on any of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, so I'll read you some of the details that came out over the weekend before they actually announced the merger. Okay. But according to CNBC, UBS buys Credit Suisse for $3.2 billion as regulators look uh, look to shore up the global banking system. That's crept up, right? Wasn't the original offer like a billion and then it crept up to like $2 billion? So the original deal was in a $2 billion all-stock deal, UBS would be paying approximately $0.77 cents per share for credit, credit Suisse. Pennies. On the- Pennies on the dollar. The pre-deal announcement leaked before, though, was UBS was to pay more than $2 billion. The offer was $0.55 cents a share, 73% below Friday's close. So they were already falling like crazy in the stock price, and then 73% below that. Right. Swiss Central, uh, Swiss, 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 I'm sorry, Swiss Central Bank yeah. gives UBS $100 billion liquidity line, mm-hmm. and UBS looks to bypass shareholder approval. So by Swiss Central Bank giving them $100 billion liquidity line, that shows you that it's government backed and brokered. A hundred percent. They were involved on some in some way, shape, or form, yeah. at least in the beginning of the negotiations. But obviously, this man and UBS had some kind of connection. He's on their board. He knows all the board members who would have voted on this. In any event, the deal was announced on Sunday, March 19th, before the end of the day. Yeah. Before the market opened up on Monday, the 20th for them. Right. So this was shocking. And I would say, compared to the U.S., this was a significantly bigger problem. Mm-hmm. But this also coincided with them raising their interest rates 50 basis points. That's right. To, I think, a, f- a full Fed funds rate for them, uh, 3%. Yeah. Right. So now compare the U.S. Yeah. We have our FOMC meeting tomorrow, Tuesday the beginning, 21st. Beginning tomorrow, right. And Wednesday the 22nd. Yes. It is all over the place of what's expected to happen. Mm-hmm. Your call is what now? Oh boy! Uh, oh boy! I, I think they're going. Tw- I, I'm predicting 25 basis points. The original Uchi Wally Wally Uchi Bang Bang. This is. I, I mean, I've. I, it's never been so rocky, man. It has never been so rocky. And so, I mean, I don't think we're going to get lucky enough to see a, a interest rate cut. And there's some people out there who are suggesting that a we cut should, a cut. Yeah, there's people out there no, who are suggesting no, 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 no. that. Some people are saying you won't see any increase at all. That. So it's between those two, right? I I don't think the, either one of those are really probable and. Bloomberg's world interest rate probability the warp that we constantly refer to on the mm-hmm. show is over 64% today. Which is not, I mean, it's, it's, still it's feel, more it's, probable than not that 25 basis points will come through, but it's certainly not 100%. Right. And, and that has been the most uncertain it has been heading into a, an FOMC. Especially meeting. like a day before, two days before, right? Yeah. So there's so much that to unpack here with all of that. First of all, for unpack the, it for me. Put unpack, your hand in that bag. Um, and you what what it. exactly would you like me to unpack, sir? I want you to unpack your bags. Unpack my bags. You want me to stay here? Yeah, I want you to stay forever. Forever. I'm not. I'm not going anywhere. I was. Right I was in my head. I'm singing Whitney Houston. What were you saying? <laughs> so 
Credit Suisse is viewed as systemically important to not only Switzerland, but internationally, right? So in there, the new term that's been thrown around is globally systematically important banks. Yes. Right? Right. Because Chase, Wells, City, B of A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And so think you got so there's certain banks that are so large that they're too big to let fail, but they also might be too big to save as well. So I have an underlying theory about this. Lehman Brothers failed in the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And then they were afraid. The government was afraid. So there were bank bailouts that took place at then mm -hmm. at that time. A lot of people think what's happening now is a bank bailout. It is not a bank bailout. The, the, the executive team is gone. The shareholders are wiped out. Right. The depositors are backed up. Their mm -hmm. deposits are effectively guaranteed. And mm -hmm. there's some scuttlebutt about some rumors about the FDIC propping up, you know, 250 grand is not enough, propping up all depositors for the next two years. Some pretty interesting stuff in play. Certainly hasn't been announced yet. I, I would love to see the FOMC announce something like that. But Jerome Powell has been oddly quiet, man. Yeah. Oddly quiet. Well, he knows he's speaking on Wednesday regardless. Yeah, I know, but I would say it's kind of a bitch move. To, really? I mean, I'm going hard at Jerome Powell. Look, I, I agree we needed to fix inflation. Mm -hmm. I disagree that we needed to go this fast. Right. I agree that home prices need to come down. Unemployment needs to go up. Wages need to come down. But here's the problem. If, if the FOMC's secret thought on this is or not so secret at this point is we have too many banks let's have them consult let's force them to consolidate that's part of this problem yes i would say there's some statistics that we're going to show in a little bit that make that thought very very scary to the consumer right but if that is a natural intended consequence then so be it but understand what happens next is that the consumer is going to have a very very difficult time getting access to the same type of loans same type of deposit rates because you can go to a big bank right. and get the confidence you have a big bank. I, as a JP Morgan Chase client, I just got an offer for JP Morgan Chase private client for 3.8% depository rate. Yes. You but can get community banks are, are almost 5% in some cases. Right. And yet I could go to the treasuries right now because the Fed has increased rates as fast as they have right. and probably get north of 5% on some of the treasuries. Mm -hmm. So now you're encouraging people who want more return to go into the treasuries. T-bills right. versus going into, into a bank. Mm -hmm. The world is upside down because of the rate, the rate environment now. And there's people out there like your boy, Neil Kashkari, man. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad he is not Iranian. <laughs> he is, though. I'm the, no, he's not. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, to the, you, he was. No, he, to me, he was. And you know, I, I, I understand now why he's not. Oh, God. He's not a reasonable <laughs> Don't man. Don't make this a racist thing. <laughs> In 2021, you know, he popped off and said some, he got lippy. He did. Yeah. And I almost... I almost found him and slapped the shit out of him. Uh -huh. But you know, I didn't do that. Straight cash, he was, Yeah, he was basically saying that, you know, people need to lose their jobs and he got a little aggressive. But, you know, since then, he's been calmed down. Some of the rhetoric's been calmed down. Okay. But he's come out recently saying 25 is not enough. We should stick 25 or 50 base points minimum. Minimum, but we need to keep moving forward. Because all they can think about is that 2% target rate, right? Which I would say, nothing's wrong with the 2% target rate. But why yeah. do we got to get to this year? Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> right. Slow your roll, homie. Like, well, what are, like, well, just I mean, have some acknowledgement for what's... Here's, here's the problem. Is consumers are afraid right now. Mm -hmm. And nothing Janet Yellen has said, 
nothing the president has said, nothing the regulators have said, and they're two joint statements well, now. We know, we know in this high interest rate environment, right, this is not sustainable for the masses long term. We know where credit card debt is. We know where, you know, affordability for, you know, buying a home is. This is not sustainable long term. So part of this could also be them thinking we need to get there quicker so that this can all get fixed and turn the shit around. But see, the problem is not the high rates. Yeah. That, that's a misnomer. The problem is the high pace, the fast pace the of fast moving pace. the rates. Right. We've had 18, 20% interest rates at, you know, on homes yeah. in history. Mm-hmm. And that was okay. Right. But we gradually grew into that over time. Right. This is the fastest we've ever gone. This is the fastest we've ever tried to move rates ever in history. Right. So I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what, what are we really expecting to happen? Yeah. The, tanking the banking system at this pace should have been obvious to people who, I don't know, are a part of the federal fucking reserve. Yeah, yeah. And I apologize. There's going to be a lot of cuss in this episode because this, this stuff is infuriating. I'm in the business. Saeed's in the business. We deal with it daily. Very and I've had kind of a shit day. Kind of a shit day? Kind of a shit day. So, but I think Jerome Powell, he knows his, what he says carries a lot of weight. And he knows that what he says could fluctuate the markets. Right? And he doesn't want that to be the case. But he should want that to be the case. I don't know, man. You, you tell me he's comfortable talking as the most communicative FOMC Fed chair in history. Yeah. He's comfortable talking about all these things, going in the media in a way that nobody else in his well, position he ever know, has. You know he's going he's gonna to have to address this. And now all of a sudden he wants to just not say a word? Come on now. I mean, come on, meow. Yeah. Come on, meow. Well, look, this whole Credit Suisse situation. So they're actually bigger than Lehman's at the time. They have 1.5 trillion assets under management. You keep saying Lehman's? It's Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers, sorry. Yeah, it's Lehman Brothers. It's like, like Lehman's. Okay, Lehman's. Yeah, you know, them. All them Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're, yeah, like I said, they're three times the size of Silicon Valley Bank. So if this, if, if something were to shake up that big, that could set off an entire, like, global markets. So Yeah, but look, okay, well, needs, where do you draw the line, though? How is that equitable? How is that fair? You're going to let Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, granted, different regulators, different countries, but you're going to let Silicon Valley, Valley Bank fail. You're going to let Signature Bank fail. You're going to let Silvergate fail. Okay, fine. All good. Mm-hmm. But why not First Republic? Clearly so, what's going on over there is the regulators don't want them to fail. Listen, man, and, that, and, this, is, and this is the thing that has me on edge. I'm calling shenanigans on all that shit. With, with First Republic, with, with how much they got from J.P. Morgan initially with that 70, 70, billion, 70 dollars. billion. And then they got that $30 billion in deposits from all 11, 11 banks. banks. Why? 11 banks. Why? Yeah. Who, who did? You so, know how that's worked, so right? I, it, look, if, if after all that, First Republic still goes down, that's when I think the market just explodes. I don't know if they're going to go down. I, I think the whole point of this whole thing is to prop them up until they can find a buyer. But that's. Oh, just to find a buyer, you think? I mean, I think J.P. Morgan Chase is the buyer, but Jamie's probably playing hardball. Yeah, he's probably looking at like, man, UBS got that deal. I better get that deal. Like, Look, Jim Cramer talked about these guys. I know they're going to fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Inverse Cramer, to, brother. Yeah, I talked to him last week. Yeah, he's, come on. <laughs> yeah. Don't look stupid. You think Jim Cramer tipped him off? He's like, yo, man. And I'm pretty sure no it. one's offering, you know, <laughs> Jamie Dimon 77 cents per <laughs> share right now. Right. Jamie, Jamie Dimon's probably like, you know what? I'm going to let the share price go down for a little longer. Dude, to put this into perspective for people too, by the way, um, I, didn't know, I didn't know that they were around this long. So Credit Suisse, they were founded in 1856. Yeah. 167 years. I know. And then 
Gone. Operating in over 50 countries. They had troubles, though. They did have troubles before they that. Had, they, they had they a had lot a, of they troubles. They had a lot of troubles historically. And I, I even had a conversation three years with, an, I will say, with an unnamed uh, banking executive. And I, we were having this conversation. I'm like, I don't know, man. They don't, I don't know they're going to survive. And he was like, ho, ho, ho. And Credit Suisse has been around. It's an institution. Yeah. They're never going anywhere. Yeah. You know, you know just Credit Suisse, you don't know what you're talking about. Looked right. at me like I was an idiot. Right. And I walked out of the room feeling like I was a dumbass. So they've had they've had reputational damage going on for years, which is why I think the CEO of UBS came out and was actually kind of upset over the whole deal. He's like, I don't even want to buy these fuckers. But like they were, they, uh, they were bitter rivals. Big rivals. Yeah. Obviously, number one, number two. But he's like, the reputation that Credit Suisse had for so long, especially over the last like couple of years, mm-hmm. had been so bad that they it's like, I don't, I don't want to help them. I want I'd rather have them fail, you know? But so this is some of the stuff that happened to them over the years. I guess in 2019, they got hit with a spying scandal. They were investigated for seven different spying scandals. I remember that scandal. Yeah, yeah where they were, they were looking into like former employees uh, that were potentially stealing clients, right? Mm-hmm. So they got, they got caught up for that. And then in 2001, they lost $5.5 billion in the collapse of a hedge fund. And yet another risky endeavor. Remind you of Silicon Valley kids? Yeah. Yeah. And then also later that year in 2021, they had to freeze 10 billion of their capital because they had told their clients to invest in in another another company that was and they kept telling them there was low risk when it ultimately went down. And then well, it was low risk until it failed. Until until it failed, <laughs> yeah. And then in June of 2022, they were convicted by the Switzerland Federal... Ooh, convicted word. Yeah. That's not good. By Switzerland Federal Criminal Court of Failing to Prevent Money Laundering. So, th- the, what year was that? Uh, 2022, June. So, that was around the time I was rehashing this whole Credit Suisse conversation with the former banking colleague that I worked with. Yeah. And he was adamant, this is nothing, they'll get hit with some fines, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going like, I'm pretty sure some shifty shit's going down over there. Like, you know, it's been kind of a progressing problem. Right. And he looked at me like I was the stupidest person in the world. Right. Like, you treat me like I was a complete moron. I almost want to call him and be like, hey, man. Hey, what, ha- what happened? What, see, what happened was, is yeah. I was right and you was wrong. <laughs> exactly. Remember that? I do. And then I guess what really spun this whole thing off was, so in July 2022, when uh, that CEO got named, I don't, what was, his name is Ulrich Corner. Corner, yeah. Corner. But it's got uh, like one of those weird double dot things over the O. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's Corner. Corner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they spun version. off their inv- investment banking division, and that's when the Saudis National Bank took a 9.9% stake. <laughs> and they tried to reach out to the Saudis for like help, and they're like, nope, we out. Dude, I saw an interview. They asked him, like, would you be willing to come in and provide more capital? They're like, nope. Nope. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not just because of the regulatory standards. I mean, we're, we're, we can't because of re- regulatory standards. But even if that wasn't allowed, no. Yeah. No, they, they did not play. Yeah. They're like, we had some fun. Yeah. It was a good party. Yeah. And we out. Right. They were playing. So, and then that's when they got the secure line, the Swiss National Bank. So it's Which all, was, it's all, it's all fucked up over there. And, you know, it's really messing up the reputation that, that they have because what Switzerland is known for, and especially their banks, right? There's considered to have low levels of financial risk and high levels of privacy. So the privacy is probably what they're more known for. The low levels of risk, I would say, in recent decades, mm-hmm. hasn't really been that way. Because they, they've had to compete with some of the larger American banks. That, like JP Morgan Chase is the biggest bank in the world. Right, but I think Switzerland as a whole, they're considered stable, right? I mean, 
That's the whole reason why they're, they're. It's really hard to get loans there, but if you're rich, it's really easy to get loans there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the fucked up paradigm. They haven't been involved in any conflicts in like hundreds of years. That's why the, everyone the, whole, every, the saying goes right. I'm playing Switzerland. Wow, that was that was well done. Yeah, you called them cowards. I didn't call them a coward. You basically said they haven't been in conflicts in a number of years. That's because they're playing Switzerland. You don't stand for something. You stand for nothing. Come on, man. They're stand. They're standing for themselves. I want no part of this. It's no Swiss fries. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, He's all, they stand with Roger Federer. <laughs> I'm not a tennis guy, and even I got that joke. So by the end of Sunday night, the Wall Street Journal comes out and says UBS agrees to buy credit suites for more than $3 billion. I did the math, and I think they wound up somewhere between $0.55 cents a share, like $0.54 cents a share. It wasn't, any, it wasn't close to the 70, 70-something percent, or $0.77 cents a share that somebody else noted. And there's right. a bunch of like you know accounting changes in there, but you know whatever. Mm-hmm. So this got me thinking. Most people who hear about these banks failing, mm-hmm. they don't really understand some of the importance of ratios, okay. like capital ratios. Yes. So an article that I came across did a really good job of explaining it, probably better than I can. I'm not really good at explaining kind of the accounting vernacular because that is probably my weakest skill set in the banking world is, is the accounting side. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to get up to speed on some level of some of, the, some of the things that I think are really important for if somebody who's running an institution. I'd say that I need to know it. I mean, obviously you have a CFO and you have a treasury and people that'll help you out along the way. Right. But, um, I would like to know it well enough to be able to go, Hey, 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 shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, that being said, this article from the street, big banks, best position to weather the crisis, according to Morningstar, mm-hmm. we talked about the tier one ratio. So I use this a lot in banking. Tier one ratio is a statistic regulators use to evaluate a bank's ability to absorb losses without triggering insolvency. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm i.e. Silicon Valley Bank, i.e. Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank, and obviously Credit Suisse as well. Generally, banks should have a common equity tier one ratio of at least 7% to avoid fines from regulators, Morningstar said. So I would say in this particular market, that's way, way, way low, Mm -hmm. and it'll have to be even higher than that. But the problem for most banks was that they were, they were required to keep a minimum capital ratio. And then just forget tier one at this point in time, minimum cash on hand. Right. And then stress test that, depending on the size of the bank, if there were you know, 10 billion or above, they had different stress tests than 10 billion below. And stress test, in a worst case event scenario of an interest rate volatility. Right. Right. Interest rates go up and inflation comes down. This Monte Carlo-like analysis, what does that do to your balance sheet? Absolutely. You're supposed to do the stress test and figure out, okay, can we survive a two and a half standard deviation event? Right. None of those models. Yeah. Well, I think two and a half standard deviation is kind of in line with the Great Recession, the Great Depression. Those are two and a half standard deviation events. Got it. But not a single one of those fucking models ever contemplated the Fed increasing rates at a pace they just had not done before. Oh, yeah. You can't predict what they did. You can't predict what they did. Now, people are saying, well, this isn't a two and a half standard deviation recessionary event. Correct. Not yet yet yeah but something like this was an unprecedented so a monte carlo analysis basically is you have several different variables that go into this you know scenario Mm -hmm. and it's all kind of randomized if you will the the impacts one another and how these things could happen right it's like if i told you to take everything you had in your life and move it up to the absolute extreme stress level you would lose it but if one or two of those things moved up and a couple of those things stayed the same you could probably manage yes right if a couple of things went up and a couple of them went down, you probably felt pretty normal, yeah. right? But if all of them go up at the same time, you probably lose your shit. <laughs> you go home, you yell at your wife, you kick your dog, you're a terrible human being. Right. Because you're just 
overstressed. Yeah. Well, what if one of those things went so far up in and of itself that it just caused you to freak out? Yeah, not exactly. Right? You lose your job and now you don't have any money and you got a ton of debt. You freak out. And those debt payments go through the roof. Right? So that's exactly what happened to banks is things went up way, way, way too fast. And that one single thing Mm -hmm. stressed banks, interest rate risk. Right. Right? They automatically faced this compressing net interest margin, making less money. Mm -hmm. And they walk into this environment now where there's a fear Mm -hmm. of banks being well capitalized. And now, in a way that's never happened before, the old adage was banks only fail when there's loan losses. Yeah. None of these banks had at least clear loan losses. I mean, maybe some at Silicon Valley Bank. Right. But none of that's really made but the news. Yeah, but the policy out there now and the guidelines out there now have made it so to where they're way more strict. And They bank, should be way more they, strict. They should yeah. be. And banks aren't sitting on the same types of losses that they were in 2008. It's just... It's just not the same. Not yet, but they may. But they may. They may. But here's one thing that I wanted to ask you about, about the whole UBS. And- Ooh, I'm not answering questions tonight. Uh, you about to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they really tried to push this UBS deal buying Credit Suisse in like over a weekend. Because they yes. really wanted to calm the markets. Well, right? and that, so that's where I'm looking at First Republic Bank. And for those of you who aren't familiar, First Republic Bank's been in a free, for, free fall. For the greater portion of a week and a half, two weeks now. Yeah. There's been two weekends in between here mm-hmm. where there's been a lot of rhetoric. Like, are the regulators in there? What are they, what's going on? And then the next right. weekend, it's like, okay, are they going to figure out something? Oh, we got this capital line. I don't know what's going on. There's clearly some turmoil over there. Yeah. But it seems to me pretty obvious that they're trying to find somebody to buy them. And unlike UBS, mm-hmm. where you got the CEO of Credit Suisse on, on their board, which if you didn't like them, yeah. why is the guy on your board? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Like the whole thing is very weird, right? Right. But maybe there's that relationship is what helped facilitate this along, right? Maybe, maybe I don't like your company, but Perhaps. I like you as a person. Who knows? Perhaps. Maybe the, the line of credit that was extended by the government was all there. Why hasn't anybody tried to buy First Republic? I mean. Or if they are, like what's the holdup? If they, their stock price today after days of falling 60% in a single fucking day, fell 40% today. Fucking wild. Are they they down- were downgraded four ratings from their current rating to junk bond status. To junk bond status. And, and we talked about the whole sector did get downgraded, but not to junk. I mean, that that's absolutely insane. Arun, I mean, Arun, do thing- me a favor. Arun, look up the ticker symbol for First Republic, uh, FRC. Yes. Is their ticker symbol. Mm-hmm. And... See if you can tell me what their average trading volume is. Oh, I, I might actually have it on my phone. What their average trading volume is. So today their stock price is twelve dollars and eighteen cents. Go to their the historic. Go to, to the um. Go to the five year. There you go. Now right there at the top. What was it? Top, what was that top price right there? Two hundred nineteen. Two hundred nineteen. Wow. Now go to the one year, on the chart. And if you're listening, this is what I always typically look at. Go to one year in the chart. Now, find out what their highest was a couple months ago. What is that? What do you think? A 165. 165. Now, go to the one-month version of this. Fuck. Now, look. So The highest point, uh, 122. 122. Now, they're $12.18 today. So, now, now I want to have everybody look at something that, that I think most people ignore. So, you know where the the price has gone, and it, it's about as, as a straight line down as you can possibly get. But one of the things I love to look at, and you can, if you have an Apple iPhone and you go to a stock, the stock app, you can look at it. You can tap on FRC, and you'll see volume, mm-hmm. right? The volume of trades 
was 186.4 million. God damn. Now, this is obviously over the course of last week and a half pulled their average volume up. Mm-hmm. But it still hasn't pulled it up anywhere near that high. Their is average that- volume is 17.15 million. So let's just call it 17 million. Oh my god. 17.2 million somewhere in there, right? Mm-hmm. If they're doing a volume of 186.4 million, way more than normal. Right. That's the retail sector. That's everybody buying them on the down. They're literally shorting the stock, further driving the price down because people have zero confidence in First Republic's financial wherewithal. Man. Now, here's the part that I think most got, consumers miss. Yeah, okay, go ahead. No, you're right. You want I didn't want no, to no, talk no, over. No, 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 you actually I see where you're going. Do you see where I'm going? I see where you're going. You see me now? I see you now. <laughs> Do you see me? <laughs> Uh, most people miss the idea that the stock price in and of itself is not necessarily indicative of a healthy company. Right. It does impact you in some ways, but a regulator is typically not going to shut you down because your stock price goes lower. Mm-hmm. Now, it sucks, but if you're well capitalized and you have liquidity, right, you can still operate no matter how bad your stock is. But when you start having junk bond status, mm-hmm. whenever you go to have, collect certain types of deposits or you try to bring people in, not a lot of people want to bank with you because they consider you to be effectively a shitty company. So then at that point, is it really up to the board, their board and like, how much lower are we willing to let this thing go before we decide to just sell it? Well, here, herein lies the problem, too. Like, if you're going to sell now, you're selling at a discount because they're going to pay you a multiple, if you can get a multiple, or in this case, a, a small percentage of mm-hmm. their price. And this is where I think Credit Suisse really fucked a lot of banks, too, is because they just got bought pennies on the dollar, and you're wondering, well, then if... What's the true value of these banks, then? No, I mean, that, that's kind of like a hazard pay situation. Like, it's not necessarily the true value i mean you they they pay i mean it's hard to figure out what these what these banks true value is right now well and so let's get into that mm-hmm. i've got two articles talking about the 17 billion dollar bond portfolio yeah and I, I think both of them are important but for very different reasons so let's get into this this is one of those few educational moments on the show where we're going to try to be serious while talking about bonds and billions. all right no jokes i, I can't do that can't let's, do not, let's not go too extreme here all right from bloomberg business Actually, both from Bloomberg Business. Mm. Uh, Credit Suisse's $17 billion of risky bonds are now worthless. Man. That's why they're called risky kids. <laughs> About 16 billion Swiss francs or 17.3 billion US dollars of Credit Suisse's bonds have become worthless after a takeover of the firm by rival UBS. Mm. The deal will trigger a, quote, complete write down, end quote. I'm pausing for emphasis. <laughs> Complete write-down. Of Zero. the bank's additional tier one bonds in order to increase core capital. Mm. Swiss financial regulator Finma said in a statement on its website. The bonds wipe out, the bond wipeout is the biggest loss yet for Europe's $275 billion AT1 market, far eclipsing the approximate $1.35 billion loss suffered by junior bondholders of Spanish lender Banco Popular. <laughs> SA back in 2017 when it was absorbed by Bancos, I can't say the last part of that, to avoid a collapse. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'll tell you is there's some accounting reasons why you'd want to do this, right? Because yes. there might be some recovery here, but they're basically writing them down to zero. The complete write down means that they're going to hold them on their books as zero. Now, if they ever recover anything on it, it's it's a profit. It's a, it's a gain. Right. But more importantly... The next article, why $17 billion in risky debt was wiped out in the Credit Suisse rescue deal, also by Bloomberg Business, 
I thought did a better job of kind of explaining some of the nuances here. Contingent convertible bonds or COCOs, as Said likes to call them in my presence. Which... A, li- a listener of the show sent me, sent me a posting from somebody that uh, we got to give a shout out to. Who's that? Uh, the posting was from somebody. Uh, this I don't is, even remember. That's ja- terrible. Javad Koi. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his what name. What the I hell? Butchered it. Yeah, but they, they sent it to this. So they did a, a nice breakdown of these COCOs. Okay, say the breakdown for a second. Let's get to do this. It's only two paragraphs and we'll get to that. So contingent convertible bonds or COCOs are often described as high yield investments with a hand grenade attached. Mm-hmm. UBS takeover of Credit Suisse has pulled the pin on $17 billion of them. COCOs, also known as AT1 bonds, are the lowest rung of bank debt. It means that while they produce juicy returns in good times, they're designed to be among the first to feel pain in the bank's troubles get bad enough. Mm-hmm. The vaporizing of Credit Suisse's cocoa debt has big implications for the newly combined bank and the wider market. Mm-hmm. Said, hit me with some cocoa. So, basically, so contingent convertible bonds are a type of fixed income instrument that was created after the 2008 financial crisis. This is according to the Post. Um, at the time back then, uh, government used taxpayer money to rescue financial institutions. They realized they bailed them out. They bailed them out. They yeah. realized that this cannot go on, you know. Bail out bad. Yeah, bail out bad, and we can't have bad. the tax. We can't have the taxpayers pay, you know, these financial institutions to bail them out. Which I agree, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. So this this financial instrument was created to help prevent that from happening again, right? They were created, as you mentioned in the post, to absorb the losses. So what's going on here, though, is with Credit Suisse is what's supposed to happen is these additional tier one bonds are supposed to get paid out last, bank capital restructuring, right? But instead, they're being paid out first. That's a problem. Big problem. So that's the issue. So the the path that what's supposed to get paid out first, it goes like this. When a bank collapses, right? You got your senior secure debt mm-hmm. that's supposed to get paid out first. Which is also the same for any company that collapses. So what, what's, senior, an example, what's an example of senior secure debt? On it for a bank. Anything that's secured by like a line of credit on assets that are titled. Okay. Right. So think of like your first trustee in your home. Mm-hmm. That's a senior secured debt. Yeah. Okay. Now so- your second trustee is a senior secured debt, but you might have unsecured debt. Mm-hmm. You might have a tertiary or a third so goes, unsecured. Yeah. So debt. it goes into that. So the first thing that gets paid off is senior secured debt. Second are deposits. Mm-hmm. Right. Third should be senior unsecured debt. Fourth, subordinated debt and then it goes into tier two additional tier one and so on and so forth so that right there the first two Mm -hmm. the senior secured debt and then the deposits that's the reason why when a bank fails not all the depositors are made whole right because you have to net out the senior secured debt which in many cases is very very high because banks are re-leveraging your loans Mm -hmm. that is senior secured debt right so they leverage the loan to get more money to loan out again Mm -hmm. That senior secured debt has to be paid for. Paid forward. Now, if that was just one home to pay it back, it'd be all well and good. But as you know, banks will make a loan, then take that loan, let's say a million dollars, pledge it to the federal home loan bank, right? Get fifty or sixty percent of that to use again as capital, and then reloan that money out, right? And then keep that pace up until effectively they multiply that loan over time. And that one million dollars is stretched a whole long way, right? So that's why that's why this is such a big deal of how how this. Debt is getting wiped out 
um, in this rescue deal for them. But what I wanted to get in for you, which I think is super valuable for the listeners, because you've now done this several times, is the level of due diligence that it, it requires to buy a bank. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like what UBS is being forced to do, you know, their hand is being forced by the government. Right. Like, yeah, and, and it's hypocritical as shit because when I explain the due diligence process and how lengthy and painful it is, yeah, you're gonna be like, okay, wait a minute. But the regulators are the government extension, so they're forcing you to do something without the due diligence you would normally need to do. Right, exactly. But that's why you pay the asshole seventy seven cents or fifty five cents, whatever. I mean, it is exactly. Share. And we've talked about it. We've talked about it here in the states, like the way it works with uh, J P Morgan and. These other big banks depositing five billion into First Republic, even if they didn't want to do it, all that needs to happen is the regulators give them a call and be like, "Hey, no, 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 you're gonna make that deposit, right?" Well, it isn't. I mean, it's not supposed to work like that, but, but it does work like it, that. But yeah. I'm sure it does work like that. So Here, here's the way I like to characterize this for most people who are not in the banking space: banks actually lease their charter, right? Okay. You own it. You can use it. Mm-hmm. But it can be taken away if you violate your terms. The same way if you lease a Ferrari or Lamborghini and you violate the terms of your lease, like if you rent it out, mm-hmm. if you take the tracker off of it, there, there's terms in your agreement that you can't violate. Well, banking charters are the same thing. Right. It's your charter. You can use it until you violate the terms of your charter, at which time they'll pull that fucker right back. Right. And you're no longer a bank. Right. It's like when I don't renew the lease of you being my friend anymore, you're always on a lease. No, you're gonna you're gonna renew that lease. Uh, so you think I'll renew that lease? Come on, bro. I just let you give me Coco for ten minutes. <laughs> Coco for ten minutes. Come on, meow. <laughs> Coco, best Disney movie too, by the way. Top three. Uh, it, it was a really goddamn good movie. God damn. Although I've been I've been um, watching a lot of Disney with the kid lately. Have you? We watched Lion King last night. Like the original. They hadn't ri- seen it yet. There, there is a real like. No, we didn't watch that one. The, the new one, right? Yeah, the new one. Yeah, we didn't watch. That I haven't one. seen. I can't watch. We watched it. We watched the old one. I'm not gonna lie. He cried. He cried like a little I girl, right? Cry like, cry like. Did a, the kids? Did the kids cry? Uh, the kids were. They got really sad, and they looked over at me. They saw me starting to cry, and they both gave me hugs and kisses. I'm gonna tell you right now, Arun's game tonight. As much as he was on fire the last episode, the last two, 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 episodes, two, three episodes, yeah. Tonight, bro, you were you were on tilt. <laughs> is. What is what is going on back there? It's midnight, man. We started it, real late. Dude, this is the second time we started too late with him, and he starts like. <laughs> This is his way. This is his way of saying, like, listen, we're not going to start this late again. Because if we do, this is the kind of shit I'm going to (laughs) pull. Jesus, with the fucking bleep button. Jesus, that was terrible. You should not do that again. Don't do that again. And the worst part was he couldn't couldn't unmute himself because he was laughing his ass off so hard out there. (laughs) But, okay. So, just to get back on track. Why would we want to do that? You're the only one qualified in this room to talk about this. There's only two of us in the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still, the, the statement is still true. Okay. Yeah, we you require know level, a lot of banks. Yeah, you know the level of due diligence it takes to go in and and examine and look over a bank and see if they're operating efficiently and whether they're worth buying or not, or figuring out the price point and whatnot, and how long that takes, and how many people that requires. Now, in order for the Swiss government... Especially at this size. It, I mean, this size, is it's outrageous. At this size, you have an entire teams that would have to do due diligence. And so that's why they were priced so low, is 
the the risk in taking on a bank that you don't know mm-hmm. is obviously the integration of the systems is a, is a, is a huge challenge from an I operational mean, yeah. standpoint. I'm sure they didn't even that's not that's the least of the worries right now. But again, if you follow the old school adage that banks are only go down if they have bad assets, but you're taking over a bank that you know was riskier than you were profile wise, right? You're now taking on that entire loan book. Let's ignore that you have to board all of their loans on the, onto your system or whatever system survives. You have to take all the deposits and put them on your core system and make sure all that accounting and all that stuff flows through right. right. Let's ignore all that. Mm-hmm. If we know the single greatest risk typically to banks is if loans go bad and you're taking over this book, you have to write that book of loans down because this bank failed, right? Right. You got to write it down to where you feel like your risk is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, when UBS came in for Credit Suisse, that risk was 70 something cents on the dollar. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's, say, I per mean, share, not even on the dollar. It was less than that. Right. It, 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 from an outsider's perspective, it almost feels like you're going to force me to buy this bank. I'm not buying. This is what I'm offering. They bought it for pennies, yeah. pennies compared to what it used to run for. Yeah. And, and it's, it's stunning how little they paid for it. Yeah. Because they believe there's, there's real risk there. Now, they'll, they'll, this will be a huge economic upswing for UBS over time. Over time, sure. And they will be a much larger institution because the assets that they have in the loan portfolio combined with the securities that they've now acquired, even despite this massive billion-dollar write-down, will increase the size of their bank dramatically. Right. And as they go through this process and they start to kind of play the accounting game a little bit, mm-hmm. they'll optimize their net interest margin and increase their profits over time. So what is the what is the process? What is the first thing like you look at? I know you say you, you go and look at the, the, the types of loans. Are you looking at what they're concentrated in? So it's even more broad than that when you start. Like it, the first thing, so typically speaking, if you have an investment banker in between, mm-hmm. there's a pitch deck for the bank, right? And what they'll typically do is they'll say, okay, I'm going to pull down your call report, which in the banking is all banks file a call report. And the call report basically gives you kind of a, a broad view of what the bank looks like from a risk profile mm-hmm. and it's uniform. So all banks report essentially the same way. Okay. So it's easy for an investment banker that's got experience anyway to take one bank's call report, another bank's call report mash them together and put a presentation out that shows you the combined entity based on some of the metrics that you're seeing. Got it. These are how your ratios will improve. These are what your combined entity would look like. This is how efficient the combined institution would be. Clearly with UBS and this happening over a weekend, nobody had time to mash everything up together and show them that report. No way. So they had, again, had to get this really killer deal to make sense of it because they didn't have this optics into what it would look like. Mm -hmm. They might have some high level stuff they can put together and kind of theorize on it quickly, but you certainly don't have like this business model, this business plan of what this combined entity will look like. Right. If you're merging companies where the the teams are coming together and they're staying together and there's not one like per se sole survivor that the teams are merging together, mm. those are a lot longer process because there's cultural impacts, there's system impacts. You got to debate everything that happens. But if you're just buying somebody like this, yeah. generally speaking, your institution survives, your systems survive unless somebody has something that's really phenomenal that you're going to keep. Right. And then the people get integrated in. The other part of this is, is expect a lot of those Credit Suisse people to lose their jobs. Mm. That's what comes next. Because in order for this to make sense for UBS, it has to be economically viable. They have to build in efficiencies. Well, right. some of the efficiencies are getting rid of some of the legacy systems that Credit Suisse has and boarding them onto their current systems because they already pay for them. Right. Right. But more of the efficiencies than not typically come from the reduction in force of the full-time employees. Right. Because you don't need so many people to run a combined entity. Mm-hmm. When they're standalone, you need them. When they're yeah. con- together, you have redundancies in people. Right. There'll be huge savings in the executive salaries, obviously. But then you got to go in, you got to perform due diligence. You got to go in and look at the files. Now, when you get to be a, over a certain size, you can't have your own team go do that. 
you typically engage a third party company, which goes in and does like a full scope analysis of their loan portfolio. I see. Okay. And comes back to you and lets you know what their findings were from a neutral third party. Think of it as like an appraisal for your home. A neutral third party and goes then, out there and looks at it and tells you what's good and bad. And then that Same bank, thing. that bank gets access to that report as well. So the buying bank will typically get access to it and you can share it with the selling bank for negotiation purposes, but yeah. you don't have to. It's your report. You ordered it. Got it. There's also lawyers involved, fairness opinions involved, especially mm -hmm. if they're publicly traded companies. I mean, I could go on and on and nauseam. This is a very complex process. Obviously. To yeah. cram this down in a weekend. It's, it's asinine. At this size. Yeah. It's cavalier. It's crazy. But at that dollar amount, it might I, be, I don't see a world where it, they get hurt. But it feels like what they thought was needed in order to calm the markets. Yeah. They needed this deal to get done over the weekend before shit hit the fan. So let me ask you the question. Why hasn't Silicon Valley Bank been bought yet? Why hasn't First Republic Bank sold yet? Mm -hmm. what, what's going on here that, that's stopping all these things? I mean, it could be, I mean, it, it could be that they would only, someone would buy for pennies on the dollar and they're not willing to sell for pennies on the dollar. Who's they? The, both, all of the banks have been taken over. Yeah. It's going to be backed by the government as far as the deposits go. So are there losses in these books that we don't know about? Are, are the, is a due diligence coming up? I mean, is that sh even short window of due diligence telling people they don't want to touch it? I mean, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, you know, situation. Absolutely. So I want to pivot a little bit from here and go into why community regional banks are so important. Mm. I found this I got some on that too. from Zero Hedge, which I will say is not always the most reliable source, but certainly very poignant in, in what they have to say most of the time. But I really, really like this because it, it was really clear and concise why banks are important. All if banks. You, if you recall from the last episode we did, we talked about there was 5,000, just under 5,000 banks in the United States. Yes. There was nowhere near that in any other country. Like five, less than 500. In the closest next large company, and there's a country, and there's only a couple countries that had that much. Everybody else just fell off from there. Right. Well, Zero Hedge was very clear and concise on this. So the Fed does not contain the regional bank's collapse. There will be another Great Depression. The natural question is, is why would somebody feel that way? Mm -hmm. I'll explain. Small medium banks account for 50% of the U.S. commercial and industrial lending. That's business loans. Mm -hmm. Half of business loans don't come from J.P. Morgan, Chase, Wells, B of A, and Citi. Right. They come from community and regional banks. Yes. And I will say, I've always said in this show, I think you get better service mm -hmm. from community banks. Right. Because you're not going through one of those goddamn digital like answering phones. I hate those things. Yeah. I want us, our little side project, when Rune's not cranky pants in the next room, <laughs> to be, we find a way to take chat GPT yeah. in an AI voice, and we make an actual like automated call system that isn't an asshole. Yeah. If I have to press two to reach somebody, to press zero and dial, and I, I, I'm going to lose my shit. I, I, hate, I, I hate when they try to get creative and they just say, like, press seven. Best Buy is that one. I bought the cameras. Yeah. It was a total, it was a fucking, I yeah, was well, so pissed. They switch it up. They're like, nope. Press and the ones that won't let you press operator to get to the operator? Yeah, you can, zero. You can't press zero. Our technical support staff is dedicated. Yeah, that if is If you not could a... let us know which <laughs> yeah. product you're calling about, we can route you proper. Man, fuck your routing, okay? Yeah, exactly. Like, nothing Tell me you don't me want my more. business. I, yeah. Oh, I got zero. Right. Anyway, allow me to continue. So small medium banks account for 50% of the U.S. commercial and industrial lending, mm -hmm. the business loans, 60% of residential real estate lending. Over half, 60% of homes are bought with loans from small to medium banks. Yes. Okay. 
This number next is even more polarizing. 80% of commercial real estate lending, 80% Mm -hmm. happens from small community banks. Not from Wells, not from Chase, not from B of A, not from City, from the small community banks. Apartment loans, retail strip centers, Mm -hmm. gas stations, industrial complexes. Right. 80% of those are coming from those small banks we are cramming down right now. Yeah, because big banks don't even want to touch that. Because they just don't want to get to know your name like it's Cheers. <laughs> Not just that, though. They don't, they don't understand the community needs like that. Well, and they don't. Larger banks, and here's the thing that people understand, is they have a, a very tight, defined window of what they'll accept. Mm-hmm. And proponents out there will say, well, that's because the larger banks don't take on the same degree of credit risk. Mm-hmm. They don't have to. The same way they don't have to give you 5%, you're going to go to them for 3.8%. Right. They'll say no to you. They don't care. You're a number. Right. You're a zero and a one. Sometimes you're going to get that zero. Sometimes you're going to get the one. Right. They don't care about you. They don't. They don't. You want to know how I know? When you call them, you get that goddamn 1-800 number automated system. Right. I mean, how much do you have to have to become a Chase private client? Why are you asking me like I would know the answer to that? <laughs> You saw what I was doing? Yeah, that's you what saw, I was doing. You saw that shit? I'm not letting you bait me <laughs> Tell in this me, go ahead, go ahead. No. Yeah. I'm not letting you bait but that's me. Great. They, they make you feel like you're a private client, but you ain't shit. You know? Me? No. No, I'm no. nothing. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying anyone. It's like they have accounts. Listen right now. If Silicon Valley Bank, right, had accounts with hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in it, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. You're just, you, and Joe Schmo is just a random number. Five million? He ain't shit. Go ahead, leave. I don't care. I mean, at some point, yeah. Seriously, when you're that big? Yeah, I mean, I, well, those are also companies too. And it, it has a lot to do with influence on top of those companies. So it's not yes. necessarily just the dollars. Right. It's, it's a, money is a very polarizing thing like that too. And it, it's, it's sad to see how doors open up and change. One of the craziest parts of my life growing up was, you know, I came from a very like humble beginnings, like poor starts. My dad doesn't like to acknowledge this, you know, whatever. I mean, and he, he did pretty well for himself over time. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's 70 now. But I thought that I had known both sides because I grew up poor. My home was foreclosed when I was a kid. And, you know, my dad, you know, had a very wealthy, opulent lifestyle for a little bit. At least that's what I thought. And then I'm, I saw real wealth. Homes with maids' quarters in it. Mm. You know, homes... People who had yachts that were bigger than homes. Right. And I started traveling the world and seeing some of the things that were happening. And, and I'll tell you, the thing that blew me away is I was with a couple different celebrities in, in, in different places. They never paid. Yeah. they. Just, it, no one even asked them to pay. It's a different life. It was a blessing that they showed up right. to their place. It gives them more clout. The world opened up. Yeah. Waiting in line. They, they don't understand. Right. And I'll never forget. It was Warren Sapp who told me his, uh, he broke it down to me in the most articulate way. It was crazy. When I was asking him, you know, hey, man, like, don't you feel bad? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you understand, like, mo- people don't fly in and get handed a car straight off a dealership lot because they want you to be seen driving a car from their dealership. Like, right. that's not normal. He's like, I know. And I'm like, people don't, Normally, I have people call them up and say, hey, I want to give you a bunch of clothes because I want people to see you wearing my clothes. Right. You'd pick up boxes of clothes for free yeah. every time you came in town. Always wearing something new. Always wearing something new. 
But the trade-off is, is everywhere he went, somebody recognized him, and it was always dudes. It was never women. It was never like hot <laughs> yeah. women who were like, oh my yeah. God, Warren's Sapp. Yeah. Maybe during his prime. Yeah. But everywhere he went, it was like a line of dudes. <laughs> Yo, that's Warren Sapp. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, so, I mean, there's trade-offs for sure, but the world catered to him. And he, told, he straight up said, like, look, I've been, I've been a very large African-American athletic man since I was a teenager. Right. People all assumed I was going to go play professional sports. And at some point in time, the world was giving and giving and giving and giving. Like, I, it just it became lost on him that it, it, it's not even like a thing that he thinks about that it's so different anymore. Mm-hmm. And he came from very humble beginnings. Yeah. And that's what, like, true wealth is like that. And so when these people go into J.P. Morgan Chase, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to get a loan they want. Risky or not, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to get it. Yeah. And that's the crazy complexity of money. Right. And as much as I might feel accomplished in some ways, I know what I'm doing. I'm really fighting for the scraps that are left over on the table. Because here's the fucked up reality, and I think that everybody needs to hear this, and I know it's going to sound negative, but it's true. The kid that came from a very wealthy family can take way more risks than you or me to chase their dreams because they don't have to worry about what happens when they fail. Right. And I know that sounds like, hey... You're writing off someone like Anderson Cooper, whose real name is Anderson Vanderbilt, and he comes from a very affluent family. He changed his last name, and he worked hard. But truly, do you think the pressure on him, if he failed, is the same as the pressure on you and me if we can't make a mortgage payment and our family's in the street? Right. It's not the same thing. It's not the same. And you can't instill that in that person. I have a, I have a high school teammate that actually works as a video coordinator for the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't believe you went to high school. Yeah. <laughs> and... He had to, he, when he took that role, there was years he had, he probably worked for pennies on the dollar. I mean, probably worked for nothing. Maybe even worked for free. Yeah. Just to get that job. But not everyone can afford that. No. Right. One of my, one of my closest friends in high school did very well for himself, but he interned for years for like high end directors and, mm-hmm. and because he didn't need the money. Right. Or if it doesn't work out, it's okay. It doesn't work out. I'll go yeah. try something else. Or I'll, you know, I'll run my family's business or I'll go in the family business, right. whatever it is. And that's the dream. That that would be the dream to give to give, you know, my kids the opportunity to have that feeling of, you know, it's okay if you fail. Go just go try something. Yeah, that's the that's the dream, right? Just what what could you do if you didn't have a you know fear of failing? Well, and th- therein lies like the polarization of money. That that that's exactly what. Right. And when we as consumers go to these big box banks, you're just. You're, you're a different person than somebody who's truly high net worth who walks in there. Right. Because a high net worth person who goes to Chase, Wells, B of A, and City, these globally, systematically important banks, mm-hmm. they're not calling a 1-800 number. They have a private banker they reach out to mm-hmm. in the private bank. They have access to different services. You want those services as a consumer? Mm-hmm. You go to a community bank. You go to a medium-sized bank. That's the value of these institutions. Right. You want to be treated the same way they're being treated no matter where they go. Mm-hmm. You go there where people value you because guess what? Your million dollars means a whole hell of a lot more to them than it does at J.P. Morgan Chase. Absolutely. And they're and they more well-connected to the community. So like you said, these regional banks, these small and mid-sized banks, they have a greater grasp of what's going on in the community. So maybe they're more prone to make those business loans, those C&I loans. Right, hundred percent. They're more prone, to especially somebody's... because they understand the regions better. Exactly, absolutely. I mean, so 
based on what you've been seeing the last you know week and a half, two weeks with what's going on, it's been a really messed up couple of weeks, man. I know, man. So obviously, banks we've talked about on the show, they have each have their own you know capitalization requirements. Mm-hmm. Do you? And we know that they're banks are already tightening up underwriting guidelines. That is, in an, in if they haven't sense. stopped funding altogether, if they haven't halted, because. The problem with this run on liquidity is the last thing you want to do is start throwing out dollars on loans and continue to grow, continue to grow, continue to grow. Exactly. When you don't know what's going to happen. Even right. the big box banks who are getting an influx of billions of dollars of cash. I mean, most stuff right now. Have the, slowed down. Most of the banks are doing it right. It might just be like adjustable stuff. They're, right? they're trying to, but there's some problems with that. Typically, your adjustable stuff is riskier anyway. Yes. So it's usually not collateralized. You know, it's not amortizing. So right. Yeah. So given, given what you've seen now, do you think banks will take it upon themselves to maybe sit on more cash than they're even required to just to protect themselves more naturally and until for the short term yes but the highest and best use of their cash is to invest it yes because they're gonna get more than they would otherwise just leaving it in something right but that's also the same logic that got a silicon valley bank in trouble because they invested it in something that wasn't working with this right. particular unprecedented time some bonds that were at very low rates and now and mortgage-backed securities and mortgage-backed securities yeah. and if you compare those rates to what they are now underwater yeah, yeah. nothing Arun, a question i do have a question so what's going to happen to the startup industry you know like especially with svp like they were funding a lot of the startups. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of pressure put on SVB uh, in their failure, Silicon Valley Bank's failure for what that might do to the, the market. But I would say even well before that, there has been a, a significant shift in the desire for riskier businesses like that and investments. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you typically get a more variable, variable rate product as far as loans go. Mm-hmm. And certain banks like that because index plus margin pricing, you know, it's all well and good. But I, I think, look, we saw the non-bank lenders for single family get just smashed in the last year. Right. We saw, um, we saw a tremendous amount of layoffs in a lot of sectors, including the tech sector. Mm-hmm. Startup financing has avenues like SBA loans for small business administration stuff. And there will always be those avenues there, but those, those are very technical and they're not exactly easy to get. But you, if you do the right things, you can get them. Right. That will always be there. But this age of just free-flowing capital flies in the face of what the Fed is trying to do. The whole point of quantitative tightening is to pull liquidity out of the markets. Now, granted, we just spent $300 billion back in the market with everything that's gone on the last couple of weeks. Right. Effectively undoing a lot, almost all, of what the quantitative tightening we've done recently. But truly. The whole point is to dry those things up. Yeah. So, and especially in this quantitative tightening environment that we're in, we we know that the first sector that's going to get hit, we that we noted was the tech space, right? And it's not just them; it's all business loans in general. So businesses, it, it'll cost them more to grow. So they won't right now. They're going to pull back, and by pulling back, businesses can't grow. Businesses won't get loans. Who needs more loans than tech startups? You need you you need banks to believe in in what you got going on, right? So as they as they pull out, pause. <laughs> as as you dirty. <laughs> as they as they pull out, it starts to dry up. Stop! What? I can't. I'm not. No. What? No, no. The whole market dries you're not, up. You're not gonna bait me, bro. Christopher, you're not, you're not baiting me. The market I'm not dries doing this with you. up. Stop no. it. No. 
<laughs> Yo, a chosen one. No. Nope. It comes naturally. Mm-hmm. What can I do? No. Nope. <laughs> Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. So. <laughs> wow. Um. I'm going to pivot here pivot. because I can't I'm, like the, like the feds going to do. I'm just not going to dock inside here and just not do anything <laughs> about it. All right. <laughs> so according to Reuters, Bitcoin climbs to a nine month high. Why? As bank turmoil sparks rally. And I, I know why I don't just trust the, to piss you off. I don't, we don't trust the banking system. See guys can't trust the banking system. Let's put our money back in Bitcoin. Bitcoin currently valued at 27,800 and some change thanks to Arun's wonderful magic on the screens. Mm-hmm. The biggest cryptocurrencies rose as far as $28,500. Wow. $300 more than that now. Up 13% in the last month. It's highest since mid-June and was last up 0.9% amid growing expectations that central banks would slow the pace of interest rate hikes. Mm. Bitcoin rose 26% last week. Right. 26%. It's best weekly gain since April of 2019. And has soared some 40% in 10 days as turmoil in the banking sector rippled around the globe, culminating so far in UBS Group's takeover of rival Credit Suisse AG over the weekend. Help help me understand. Nope, can't do that. This no, is no, no. You have you have you have friends in this space. I've been in this space. I, I know. I like so, it. so, so, ex- I need to understand. So, s- two crypto banks go down. Yeah, and they believe that no, no, no we're still on the right path. Oof, got shivers right now. That was weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two of them go down, and now they people are believing like no, no, no there's still a path for this man. We 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 got to invest, man. This is yeah. the way to go, man. Yeah, man. That's, that, that, that's true. People are like, okay, well, and he, here's what's coming. Is People didn't catch this, and there is a... <laughs> Arun's looking at why is cryptocurrency getting a boost, because people are stupid. Yeah. Um, but, so here's what's coming. The Fed actually has an instant payment system they're working on. Now ask me the question, Saeed. Why would the Fed be interested in an instant payment system? Why would the Fed be interested in an instant payment system? Because it's the first step in their own digital currency. Yeah. And you'd better fucking believe when they roll that out, the whole point would be to take out cryptocurrency like this. Because yeah, remember, this, when this whole thing crashed and they went into this dark crypto winter that went into crypto frozen hell, mm-hmm. the two things that they wanted when it happened when FTX went down was we need regulation and centralization. Yeah. Well, the Fed's going to give that to you. To think, to think that the Fed wouldn't roll that out. Like, I mean, honestly... It, that's only it's only a matter of time it, they're already working on it they, they had a press release out and everything else but here's here's what i know is coming in the works already is a joint statement from the regulators which i'm sure is paused now because of everything that's been happening right about cryptocurrency and i guarantee you it's not gonna be like you know what we love crypto fuck it go for it that's not what it's gonna say what it's gonna say is this cryptocurrency is risky <laughs> cryptocurrency is largely unregulated Right. And there's no way for us to regulate an un, a decentralized product like this. Right. So we believe that it poses an inherent and continuous risk to the banking system, particularly given its volatility. You know what they're doing, right? That's that's the number one way for quantitative tightening. Oh, y'all dump your money in there and then it's just going to evaporate. Maybe. Gone. You want to get conspiracy theory-like? 
It's conspiratorial. See, I don't like it when you say that word. Every time you say it, you look at me weird. You know what you did. It's conspiratorial. Yeah. Well, I know how unhappy you have been in the office lately. I've been very unhappy. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult for you to get there at 10 and leave it too. Oh, wow. And uh, the, wow. Lunch, the lunch in between. You know, it's difficult for you. I'm sure that that hour before lunch and the hour after lunch. So mad. You don't take me to lunch anymore like you used to. Because you're only there for three hours a day, bro. <laughs> what do you want me to do? That's not true. That's not true. Okay, four. Oh, my goodness. I mean, physically in the building working? Like two. Not true, man. That being said, I wanted to explain to you why I have pivoted from a work from home is here to stay guy to... Working from home is not the best for you. And as your friend. Not the best for me? No. Do we do this? We could do this podcast remotely. Right. Do we do this shit from different places? No, man. You <laughs> We do it one-on-one. The amount of time that it took. Orbits of eye sockets to orbits of eye sockets. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm here to make you happier. That, that's your sole purpose? And I'm going to explain it to you. Okay. Hit me with it. I'm going to hit the hell out of you with it. I'm going to slap you hard. <laughs> slap me with it. Mushroom bruise in your forehead. <laughs> The unhappiest jobs are also some of the loneliest. This, according to an 85-year-old Harvard study, found that people with this type of job tend to be the unhappiest from CNBC. Mm. According to an 85-year-old study from Harvard researchers, while particular roles can be reliably correlated with dissatisfaction and burnout, certain job characteristics can be Robert Waldinger, MD, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. What's a professor? I said professor. Did I say Uh, professor? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. A professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Clearly, you were not an adult. (laughs) One of the longest and running studies on happiness tells CNBC made it. Uh, Jobs that require... I can hear Rune laughing in the room. (laughs) Rune, you okay back there? He's like, Saeed, take over, man. <laughs> no, he's got this. I got faith in him. <laughs> what a dick. I'm so happy right now. Jobs that require little human interaction and don't offer opportunities to build meaningful relationships with coworkers tend to have the most miserable employees the study found. Miserable. Miserable. That's a quote. Man. Notice how I didn't screw that sentence up, asshole. Yeah. yeah. Since 1938, Harvard researchers have gathered health records for more than 700 participants from all over the world and ask them detailed questions about their lives every two years. Man. The secret to living a happier, healthier, and longer life, they concluded, isn't money, professional success, exercise, or a healthy diet. I'm sure the guys from Mind Pump would disagree a little bit there, but whatever. Just a little bit. Positive relationships are what keep people happy Throughout their lives. I actually, I've heard, I've actually heard Sal say something to this effect. He said, look, you know, it's really important, obviously, to be healthy, but breaking your diet a few times to have social gatherings, having, having a drink, although it breaks your diet, it keeps the mind healthy and happy. You're building relationships and that that's better for you long term. But yeah, I got, I got, I got a bone to pick with this though. Before you get your boner out and pick on it, (laughs) I want to talk to you clearly about this in its relationship to your working from home. Do you understand the value of, of building a healthier, real tactile relationship they, they, in the office? They didn't, they didn't, they didn't ask me. First of all, I was on the phone eight, eight to 10 hours a day. 
you can be on the phone eight to ten hours a day with anybody. Yeah. Uh, you can be on the phone eight to ten hours a day with a one eight hundred number call center if you want no, no, to. We, just we, dialing zero, trying to get the operator. Our our team is completely different from this study, but I got a bone to pick with this. Our team is completely different from this study. Yeah, that seven, sounds like you're a little bit of an elitist here, hey, site. Seven hundred participants, right? Every two all, years, every two years. To them. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Three hundred fifty of those participants probably got divorced. They were probably unhappy but in their marriage. They were fucking happy about it when they yeah. got divorced. <laughs> See? What makes them unhappy? Dude, come on. You, you don't know they got divorced. This is pure speculation on your part. Why are you people... shitting on it? You didn't go to Harvard Medical School. It's not from Yale, bro. I don't trust it. it it's not from Yale. <laughs> <laughs> don't appeal to my ego. You saw what I Don't do that. <laughs> Listen, Harvard's clearly a better school when it comes to relationships. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, all I'm saying is, is relationships matter. Absolutely. I agree. So, with that context, I needed to apologize to you in a room. Or? Last episode, man, I felt like ass. Did you really? And I know it's going to air tomorrow, and I just, it was not a good episode. I thought it was a great episode. Really? I thought it was a good one. Are you listening to the same thing I was listening to? We haven't actually heard it yet. Yeah, it was, no. It was a good episode, man. I don't know why you're always down on yourself after an episode. So for the listeners, for the listeners out there, every time we've recorded an episode since I've started the show, we end it, we take off the headphones, I look over at Chris and I ask him, How'd you feel about it? And he says it's terrible. Absolute dog shit. Every yeah, time. Every time. He never he's never once been happy with it. Although the numbers say differently. Although we do get some some honest five star reviews that critique us a little bit, which we do appreciate the feedback. I don't. We are trying. We are trying. Positive vibes only. We are trying our best to enhance the show. We are trying. Um, In about a week or two, we should have some video up and running to post on YouTube and Spotify. Uh, So Spotify, we have to switch over to a syndication service they use called Anchor in order to get it on Spotify, which should be a relatively easy thing to do. More, My biggest concern is is how to get the audio uh, time to come out with the exact same audio. Without the video mm-hmm. for like all the other places at the same time. And the way Chris has angled these cameras made it so flattering for himself, yet I look absolutely terrible. If you were taller, this wouldn't be a problem. I swear, this is all this is you were taller, this would not be a problem. But unfortunately, you were not taller, so it is a problem for one of us. Mm-hmm. You're gonna read the other these one, reviews? Yeah. We got 180 reviews on Apple. And I gotta tell you, the last two, mm. fire. Let me read one. Let me read. Let me read the one from Matt Chu. Matt Chu. Matt Chu. We My appreciate guy. you. Yeah. Often messages me on on Instagram. And I got to tell you, often messages me way more. Hold Son on, of hold a on. bitch. Side. Yeah. Matt Chu is less content. Let Chris read this one. <laughs> That's actually a pretty absurd observation on your part. Yeah, yeah, I I respect that you know that I can't read. Yeah. An honest five star review from Matt Chu. That was very Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Chris and the boys are the best at presenting information in an accessible way. Yes, we are. Mm. We are. The best. Appreciate you for noticing. Side just comes here. I'm the best. Other sources can be dry, dull, boring, or expect that you are some sort of expert. Not these guys. We expect you all to be stupid. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> We're trying to educate a little bit. I'm just reading the review, man. Uh, personally love the banter and the levity they bring to, to pretty heavy topics. Thanks to Adam from another pod, Mind Pump, Mind Pump, Mind Pump, for steering me their way. What a guy. And by the way, mm. this Friday. Oh, when this episode drops. This Friday, March 
24th? Yes. 24th, yeah. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, 24th. At 4 p.m. Pacific time, Adam and I will be doing a live where we're talking about banking, the economy, and lots more. All things banking. So please tune in because we worked a lot on trying to bring Instagram live up. Yes. I promise it won't be absolute shit this time. Just mildly shit. <laughs> yeah. Internet speeds are much better. Yeah. <clears throat> we upgraded. All right. You can read the, read the long review. That's, that's, a, that's a paragraph. Shit. Yeah. So this from Sick of the Brown Noser. It's like being a fly on the wall, they said. We love flies. Love all the flies. Yeah. So I'm updating this review since it's been a little while. Wow. So they've left the review before and they've come back. Oh, I, I respect that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe I'll have a chance of being famous on the podcast. Also, I'm hoping this review will make Chris change my name from Sick of the Brown Noser. I'm sh- I feel like you picked your own name and filled in the review name. Yeah, they're insinuating you know who this is. I do know who it is. Oh, you do? And she's awesome. Oh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. I'm sure I'm like many repeat listeners who wait for Tuesdays and Fridays for a new episode to drop. If you don't listen regularly, you're missing out. I actually stopped reading economic news on my own because I know Kristen Saeed, the chief economist of the Higher Standard Podcast. Now, that, first of all, yeah, you're the chief economist. I, you know, get your ego off of come on. No, 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 you coined it. You looked. I appreciate you. You're the chief economist of the Higher Standard, yeah. and uh, but she doesn't get all of her news from us. That's a lie. She's good. Yeah, she's she's trying to. She's appealing. She's selling the podcast, which I appreciate. Yeah, sell, sell. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, tell, tell all your friends and family. Yeah, tell all of them. Yeah. Matter of fact, the best kind of Christmas gift you can ever give somebody is one in April. And it's a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, we'll undoubtedly discuss the latest in a language we can all understand. I also enjoy how the intern pipes in at random times to ask a question because it added another layer of depth to the conversation and almost feels like the audience is interacting with the host directly. And for those in in the audience who want to know how to spell Arun's name, it's Baboon with an H. <laughs> Harpoon <laughs> without the P. <Yeah. laughs> the Baboon without, with an H is still, I'm, Haboon? Hab, hab. Yeah, it's, it's Baboon with an H. <laughs> like, no, it's When not. you said that, I literally, I'm sitting here for five minutes going, what in the fuck? Wait, how? Baboon. Yeah, it, was it was 1 a.m. It was 1 a.m. This guy's always signing the time, dude. This guy. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. <laughs> I'm sure we can get ChatGPT to do your job. <laughs> it's definitely been a stressful time, and I appreciate that we get an opportunity to be well-informed and be ready for the right time to make a move on an investment. As others have said, the added bonus of hearing about all the other random things, mostly that Chris is doing, keeps <laughs> me thoroughly entertained. Glad you can be yourself on this podcast. Keep it up, dudes. P.S. I'm adding all of these emojis to be cool. And they are cool. Yeah. yeah I, I automatically cool. find you cool. I'm like, wow, emoji skills. Yeah. I don't have the emoji skills. Like, you know, they put them together and they make the bangs and together. I have no idea. I only have the eggplant emoji and a face. That's all I got. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the peach. And the peach one, too. The peach. And peach we, we, we found out on the Adam episode, you can't even do like the devil looking one. Yeah, because it means you're a little uh, devious. You know what I mean? Yeah, naughty. Naughty. Well, you're naughty. I'm devious. There's a difference. So I, I did think a lot about this review when I read it uh, today to you guys uh, three times before we actually brought it on the show and talked about it again. Um, it is true that I, I share a lot about my personal life and you don't. I don't? No. 
at all. You do it like this like classy, sophisticated way, but it's not the real shit. What's the real shit? You're not shit? being genuine. You know all the real shit. Tell me. I'll, exp- I'll, do- I'll talk about anything. I just don't feel like anyone cares enough to hear about my real shit. But I can talk about laser hair removal on my ass? That is. More, I had a very uncomfortable conversation with my wife. That's a that's more real shit than most people are willing to share. My wife literally heard me fart the other day, and she's like, "That sounded moist." And I'm like, "I know they all sound moist now. There's nothing. There's no barrier in between." Oh man, it's it, not. It's not the same way. It's it's it's, it's it claps. It's <laughs> it's just not the same. It's disturbing, man. It's disturbing. I if I would have known, like there should have been a disclaimer. If you laser hair removal this area, yeah, the physiology changes. Right. Nobody said anything. This is this is how we make it big on YouTube. I know, right? Can you imagine? This is the promo. Is I'm gonna like literally talk about how my booty claps. Yeah. <laughs> That'll go viral. That'll be the clip that goes viral. It'll never be the clip about me talking about money. Is <laughs> what is really looking over here? I can't wait for us to start with the marketing campaign. Oh yeah, yeah. So we have an idea, which will probably get some negative reviews. So you guys should all probably hear this now. Yeah. We're well, gonna go out with like the old school like bills like movie bills that you, that you post no bills like in new york where you like literally plaster them up right technically i guess it's kind of graffiti-ish but some college campuses have places where you can safely put them up uh and we're gonna go out to colleges in and around southern california and possibly northern california we're gonna plaster them everywhere for the higher standard of the podcast just to see how how that's received i'm not saying that's gonna do anything great but just yeah. to see if it does anything at all yeah and if it does and we become famous, we're never going to talk to you all again. I still, <laughs> <laughs> I still think we should go with the "I love you, man" all billboards all around the city. Okay, great. Give me twenty thousand dollars. I'm posting that. How much it costs? They're egregiously expensive. You don't, you know, billboards. Oh my god, that's like for one. That's like for one. Yeah, <laughs> like in LA. That's nice. There's probably more than that. They're 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 egregious because you got to get like three back to back to back. No, no, just for one. It's just that much. I don't know, just to be annoying though. You got to get it back to back to back. So you mean I remember going into going into Vegas like Floyd Mayweather used to just have like three of them in a row, all the time just TMT TMT TMT. Yeah, those are probably really expensive. Wow, guaranteed traffic. That's why. So I mean, yeah, I know that you want to be part of the money team, but now at the day, <laughs> that was not the time. All right, Rune, cut this man off. He's had too much, and you are clearly delirious. All right, everybody. Good night, everyone. Did you do your own. Segway out. Yeah. All right, everybody. Good night, everyone. Let's do it again. All right. All right, Said. Say good night. Good night, everybody. And that was not better. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.